I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 21. And I'm going to pick up today where I left off last week. And um, we want to look at a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, last week we looked at the ultimate uh, punishment of those who's, uh, who had never turned in faith to, to Jesus Christ. But in Revelation chapter 21, reading from the New International Version, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God. And they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and people who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. As we consider the conclusion of human history, and we're coming to the end of it. Peter says in uh, his second letter that, oops, moved away from it. Uh, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then he says the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. As we come to the end of human history, we find an interesting thing. Although the present earth and heaven as we know it passes away, it does not disappear entirely. In fact, God creates a new heaven and a new earth. There is a a restoration And one of the things that that we need to recognize, and I mentioned this to you a week ago talking about redemption, is that God is in the process of recovering what was lost. He's in the process of restoration. Uh, Way back in the Garden of Eden, now some uh, 6,000 years ago or so, when Adam and Eve sinned against God and went their own way, they, they ushered in the earthly um, control of Satan, who began to corrupt 
the earth, as well as uh, human beings now uh, lost in sin and separated from God, began to pass on that sin nature. And things really started going from bad to worse. In fact, by the time uh, the flood of Noah comes on the scene, uh, things had gotten so bad that God said, I just really can't put up with this anymore. Uh, human beings had come to a place where evil was so rampant and so deep and so entrenched that he basically had to start over in midstream and uh, wipe away essentially the human race as it was at that time because there was no one that he could identify as righteous other than Noah. And so he started over with Noah. And now, once again, slowing the clock down, as it were, we've been still moving from bad to worse. As we progress toward the end, things continue to get worse. But God is in the process of restoring and recovering the things that have been lost. And his ultimate goal is to restore the earth and restore the heavens and then to transform them into a new heaven and a new earth that we will inhabit for all the rest of eternity. Now, I want to talk to you about heaven a little bit because we have all kinds of things in our mind when you say the word heaven. Uh, you know, uh, people say, uh, what is heaven going to be like? Or so-and-so has gone to heaven. And immediately, images kind of come up in your mind. What does that look like? Do they get wings and float around as angels? Are they spirits in some sort of uh, ghostly white that you can almost see through? Um, what is the existence of those who go on to heaven. And, and then we say, what do they do? And, you know, we sing the song Amazing Grace when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. Uh, and we think, okay, we're going to sing Amazing Grace for 10,000 years. And as much as I love the hymn, if I had to sing it for 10,000 years, I think I would get bored. Um, the image is almost that we're just going to be some sort of angelic choir uh, standing around in white robes singing uh, songs of praise. And uh, heaven's going to be this sterile, strange, ethereal place that, uh, well, it's not going to be anything like life as we know it. I want you to, to see in the imagery that John receives that we are moving into a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Peter says they melt with, with a fervent heat. And they go away. But God recreates a new earth and a new heaven. So we're going to inhabit the earth. And the heavens will be renewed. 
our lives will not consist of floating around in outer space or some ether world somewhere, wearing robes and wings, but we're going to be living on the planet. And we're going to be able to uh, savor and experience and enjoy life the way that God had originally intended it to be. You know, he placed Adam and Eve in a garden. He gave them all these wonderful, delectable things to eat. Didn't include steak, by the way. But uh, it had all the, all the greens and all the fruit. And uh, I don't know what it, it would have all tasted like, but I'm sure it would have been delicious. And uh, God gave them uh, all of this, this beautiful land, streams, and the lush paradise. And He walked with them every day in the cool of the day. And spent time with them in fellowship. And meanwhile, during the course of the day, they enjoyed exploring and seeking out all the the delights that He had planted within the earth. Every once in a while, I I have this kind of image strike me, and it occurred this morning as I was driving in, perhaps because I was uh, thinking about this message. But I'm driving down 31, and I thought, what would this be like without any pavement and without any buildings? What would this town be like if if it were just beautiful shrubbery and trees and paths? And, you know, there weren't traffic lights and asphalt and cars and fumes and all that kind of stuff. Uh... I happened to pass by Walgreens. I don't know what was going on up there, but uh, early this morning, the parking lot was filled with emergency vehicles, a couple of ambulances, a fire engine, police car too. I don't know what was going on. But it was obvious that something had happened. That's never going to happen in the new heaven and the new earth. We're not going to need firehouses and ambulances and police departments. Uh, There's not going to be any sickness, there's not going to be any sorrow, there's not going to be any pain, there's not going to be any hurt, there's not going to be anything that will um, cause problems or difficulties. Relationships will all be solved. Uh, We will enjoy each other. There won't be any misunderstandings or uh, family feuds or people out of whack with each other and and, and relationships that are distressed, but there will be a harmony and a love and a beauty and a respect and a joy in just being together as we celebrate the presence of God, the Scripture says, that will be among His people. He will be living with us on the planet in the person of Jesus Christ, physically present. Not just in the cool of the day, but all the day. And, and accessible. And we will be together on a new planet forever and ever. Heaven is designed to be a place where we continue to explore the glory of God. 
where we continue to search out His majesty, His creative beauty, uh, where we continue to get to know each other. You know how complex we are as people? Do you ever think about that? <laughs> We're not simple. We're complex. And uh, there won't be any hiding in heaven. <laughs> you know, we won't be able to, to, to put up the front. Uh, we will get to know each other. And the beauty that God has planted, the joy, the blessing in the heart of every person, the, the way the, the human mind works, the, the, the thought life, the, all of those things that make human beings so wonderful, we will be able to explore that with each other in the purest of environments. There's not going to be any risk of exposure or they might find something out about me and talk about me. There won't be anything like that. And whatever avenues that you desire to explore to discover the the creative glory of God will be available to us. Much different than singing Amazing Grace for 10,000 years. I can see how searching out one another, sitting down with Paul or Abraham or some child from an African village who came to know Jesus and talking about the Lord together and getting to know each other or exploring the paradise that the whole world will be will take forever and there will never be any boredom. Besides the complexity of just getting to know each other, can you imagine getting to know God day by day, understanding more and more, getting to appreciate the Lord Jesus more fully and more thoroughly. Many people think that when we die, uh, we become either angels or we become like God or something like that. And they aspire. In fact, there are many who teach that uh, God has destined us for the throne in a sense and that we are to become like God. Uh, and that our uh, renewal will be in God-like form. That's not at all true. In fact, if you ever hear a preacher say that God has destined you to be like God, guess where he's speaking from? Who is it that said you will be like God? That was Satan. <laughs> that was not God's plan. God has not designed us to become like God. God has designed us to become fully human. And in the redemption that He offers us through Jesus Christ, it is the restoration of our humanity in all that it is supposed to be. And in the new heaven and the new earth, we will be spirit, soul, and body in complete, glorified humanity. We will be fully human. 
not God-like, but humanity-like. We will be what we were intended to be. And that's God's design and desire for us. Not that we become like God, because He is always holy, other than any other creature. But we will become all that we were intended to be. And Jesus Christ, the God-man, I'm going to be speaking during Advent season on the incarnation of Jesus. And Jesus Christ, the God-man, will be present with us in His humanity, although He has never sacrificed His deity. He will be present with us in His humanity as the chief and prime example of what it is to be fully human. So that our identity with Him is not in the God-like side, but in the human-like side. And we will be fully like Him, John says, because we will see Him as He is. And as John says, as he hears the revelation, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then he says in verse 6, To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. In other words, it will be a place where there is no need. We will not lack for anything that we need. And whatever all of that means and however all of that fits together, it's beyond our comprehension but God has destined for us a place that is going to be wonderful in all of its aspects. And then in verse 9, the scripture says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now, remember what the angel has just said. I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then I want you to listen to the description. The holy city Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God, shining with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like that of precious jewels, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and the twelve angels with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. It was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement. It was 144 cubits. Cubit, by the way, is the distance from your elbow to your fingertips, about 18 inches. So this wall was about 200 feet thick. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. 
The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh adjacent, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The, gate, the great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I've thought a lot about the New Jerusalem. And I want to give you two ways of thinking about it. And I offer these because there is so much about Revelation that is symbolic. And there's so much about it that we, we're we not going to fully comprehend until we see it. But it's interesting to me that the angel says, Come and I will show you the bride of the Lamb. And then John looks and he sees the new Jerusalem. And it makes me wonder, is this a literal city... Or is it, in fact, a symbolic representation of the church, the bride of Christ? Does its attributes represent the church? Here are some things to think about if we were to go in that direction. First of all, where is the real temple of God? Is it, is it, it's in your heart, isn't it? Thank you, Marshall. It's in, it's in us. We are made to be containers of the Holy Spirit of God. We are the temple of the living God. Our bodies are His temple. It's not a building made with hands. We were designed in the garden and now in regeneration and in the future. We are designed to be the living temple of the living God. And so, the New Jerusalem has no temple in it because God Himself is in the midst, shining His light and His glory out of the center of this New Jerusalem. The other thing that I find intriguing is that there are two groups of people uh, included and mentioned in the composition of the city. One are the twelve tribes of Israel. And they represent the old era, but they represent all Jewish believers. And what was Abraham, who was the great-grandfather of Jacob's children, Israel's children, what was he known as? The father of the faithful. He believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And so, the doorway into the household of faith 
is by faith. Even as all the gates of the city have over them one of the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. But upon what is the foundation built? Is it not built upon the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to atone for our sins and to uh, establish for us life eternal? Did He not die that we might live forever? And was He not resurrected that we might have life in Him? And what were the apostles? They were the original witnesses to the resurrection and the life of Christ as they proclaimed and established the foundation of the church. And what is the foundation of the New Jerusalem? If it is not the twelve apostles whose names are written upon the foundation stones. And what is it that lasts forever when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ? Is it wood, hay, and stubble? No. It's gold and silver and precious stones. They represent the, the accomplishments of the Holy Spirit through our lives as we have lived in faithful dependence upon Him and He has performed supernatural and eternal work through us. These are the gold and silver and precious stones of our faith. So I wonder, is the New Jerusalem a symbolic representation of the church of all the ages? All the faithful, all the people who have believed and trusted God going all the way back to Adam and Eve and going all the way forward to the last person that will ever be saved, is the New Jerusalem the symbolic picture of the household of faith, the bride of Christ? If it is not that, and it is a real physical city coming down uh, to... uh, plant itself in the region of Jerusalem as the new Jerusalem, then it will become in the new heaven and the new earth the central focus of the Lordship of Jesus Christ from which the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will reign and dwell. I'm not going to try to tell you which one of those to pick. If it's the latter, it's going to be a beautiful and amazing sight to behold. But the more I've thought about it and prayed about it, the more I'm thinking that this is probably the symbolic imagery of the church of the ages, destined as the bride of Christ, the wife of the Lamb, that will come together eternally and we will live with Him forever and forever. Heaven is going to be an amazing, wonderful, glorious place. Someone came the other day to uh, repair my furnace, and we were chatting. And as we started talking, he said, you know, there's coming a time of persecution for all believers. And he said, 
I am committed that if the question is ever put to me, deny Jesus and live, or confess Him and die for your faith. He said, I am determined I will confess my faith in Christ and die. I will not betray my Lord. Fascinating conversation as we were huddled around my furnace in the basement. <clears throat> and as we chatted back and forth and he affirmed his faith and his confidence in Jesus Christ. It made me realize as I was thinking of this message. There is nothing on this earth and in this life worth living for that compares to the glory of eternal life in the presence of Jesus. The greatest of these is love, and love will last forever, and yes, I understand that. But Paul put it this way, he said, I consider that the sufferings and trials and challenges the difficulties of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come. And friends, we need to have an image in our mind of heaven and the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Bridegroom, the Lamb. We need to have that image clearly in our minds. We need to know that that is our destiny. That's our destination. We are headed for this glorious place. And there is nothing that can hold a candle to the glory that is to come. So that whatever the cost, whatever the price, whatever we pay. And this is why John is writing to encourage the churches, those seven churches. This is why John is writing, don't get hung up on this world. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the reason for you to live. And if it means your life, then heaven is to follow. God has an amazing plan in store. Please allow me to lead us in closing prayer. Father, thank you so much for the marvelous promises that you have given us. And thank you that you have not left us kind of groping in the darkness, wondering, uh, okay, so we have faith in Jesus, but where is it going? You have told us ahead of time. Lord Jesus, you said, see, this should not take you by surprise. I have told you all these things in advance. And we are so grateful, Lord. We're so thankful that you have prepared a place for us. That where you are, we can be also. And that one day, whether we are raptured, at the sound of the trumpet, or whether we hear your call for us individually before that day and we go to be with you from this body, we have eternity to look forward to, a marvelous place 
a gorgeous place, a wonderful place, and you will be there, and we will never be lonely or left alone. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for your precious and eternal promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.